Let's get this hour going on a Thursday, January 11th with Wes Gilbertson of Post Media. It's Pat Steinberg along with you as uh, we get this hour going from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. And uh, we jump in on the sports drive. The sports drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Did you know Calgary Lock and Safe also fixes doors? If you have one that needs it, visit calgarylockandsafe.com slash doors. As uh, we're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts on this uh, Thursday. It's a big night for the Flames. They take on the Arizona Coyotes. It's also a big night at the Scotiabank Saddledome for Oliver Shillington as uh, for the first time since May of 2022 in what has almost been 20 months, Oliver will suit up and play in a professional game with the AHL's Calgary Wranglers when they take on the Ontario Reign. And, you know, he's been slowly taking steps for a little while and he's been slowly moving towards this and and battling through what he's been battling um, off the ice. And we spent a lot of time on this when the news came down on Wednesday, and, and for good reason. We had uh, Brad Pascal, Wranglers GM, Flames AGM, and VP of Hockey Ops. Brad joined us on Wednesday's show. I, I really encourage you to go listen to that conversation. More on Oliver and, and this process, and on top of that, just about the, the really good season the Wranglers are having. But, you know, some of the, uh, a point that you made off the air as we were getting ready for this Thursday show, Wes, is since December 1st, which is the first time that, you know, it felt kind of official that Oliver was back. He was on the ice for a practice at Max Bell right. uh, with a few other players and an optional skate at Max Bell. Since December 1st, and here we are on January 11th, this thing has progressed more rapidly than at any point it has since he stepped away from the Flames in September of 2022. Uh, this has been a much more rapid prog- progression leading to this game against the Ontario Reign. And, and, you know, it just feels like this is another really big, I don't want to say test, that's the wrong word, but a really big potential night. And, and for Oliver himself, I think this is a really big indicator for him as to, to where he's at. I, I think it's a big night from a Flames fan standpoint, you're excited. This is a big night for the Flames organization. They want this guy back. They want to have uh, an opportunity to see him back in the lineup before the end of this season. But I, I think this is just a, a really big step forward and a really big thing for Oliver to test out and see where he is and and in in the most normal way that he's been able to yet in this uh, in this comeback. Yeah, and step is the best word I think for it. it's it's a it's a significant step and I just want to make sure there there's no kind of confusion when I was talking off air as you know about how you know this progression has happened so quickly over the the past couple months I don't mean that in a way of oh it's happened too fast no, no, or, or I, I'm surprised by it you know as Brad Pascal explained to us on the the program yesterday and I just echo your thoughts that if you missed that interview please do go check it out everything that has happened every next step through this return to play process and that's what it is 
has been with the nod of approval from Oliver that, yes, I'm ready for that next step, right? So he he came out and he skated, as you said, in a, a small group session with a few teammates. Well, are you ready to be at the Saddle Dome on a more daily basis skating with, at that point, two injured teammates in, in Jacob Pelche and Kevin Rooney and a member of the development staff? Yes, I, I'm ready for that. Okay, and you get through that process. Are you, are you ready? Are you ready to come back tomorrow and do that again? That process goes on for a while. Oliver, are you ready now to join the Wranglers, to be in a locker room with 25 other guys, to be taking contact and battle drills in practice? Are you ready for that mm-hmm. step? Yes, I think I'm ready. As Brad Pascal explained to us, the latest conversation was yesterday. Okay, we've been talking about this for a while. Are you ready to play a game? There's an opportunity Thursday against the Ontario Reign. Oliver said he's ready. And this is a... This is a big step. And without knowing the details, and, and we shouldn't be privy to the details of Oliver Shillington's mental health struggles, if, that, yeah. if that's a fair way to put it. Without knowing exactly what the details are, I don't know what the challenges might be tonight. Is it going to be a challenge to be in an arena with that many people? Is it going to be a challenge that who knows what an opponent, you know, you can't, you can't monitor that environment. What could an opponent say to him? I, I don't know what the challenges are, but the fact we're here is such great news. And I can only hope, and I'm sure everyone at the Saddledome would echo this, that I, I hope Oliver gets through this game tonight. And the next nod of approval is, yeah, I want to play another one. Mm-hmm. Let's play another game. So in this game against the rain, it'll be Oliver's first game since May 2022. Uh, he's gotten a few full contact practices in. Let's let's also be very very clear. He got a contact, full contact practice in on Thursday. Then the Wranglers played on Friday and Saturday. They were off Sunday. He got a development practice in on Monday. Got a really hard practice in Tuesday. And then got another solid practice in on Wednesday. So really, we're talking about three hard practices and and another twirl and then some morning skates in there. Yeah, It's still very, very, from just a straight-up physical standpoint, for a guy who has not played pro hockey in, in almost 20 months, like it's still very much in the infancy physically of him coming back. And I don't think this is going to mean that it's going to take months for him to, to be able to return to game action at the NHL level. All I'm saying is that it's still very early in the physical return to play and, and the mental side and some of the other struggles that, that he might have aside. And, and those are obviously the most important part. Um, but the, the physical side is still very much just being tackled still. Yeah, and let, let me add to that. I was there last Thursday when Oliver Shillington had his first full practice with the Wranglers, and there was... Uh, they, were, they were doing a, a battle drill or they were doing a drill that was three forwards against two defensemen. And essentially the two defensemen had to, it was a small ice drill, just using from where the ringette line would be, kind of hash marks down. The two defensemen had to clear the zone against three forwards. And there was an extended period where Oliver Shillington and his partner that day chased three forwards around the ice, couldn't get the puck back for quite a while. Oliver Shillington at the end of that drill was absolutely exhausted. You could see him gasping for breath as most people would. I, I think that's important to keep in mind. If you're going to the Saddle Dome today and by all means tonight, 
Go show your support for Oliver Shillington. Be a witness to what is a, another very important step for this young man, 26 years old. But don't base his readiness to be on whatever pairing for the Calgary Flames for however many years to come. Don't base that on what you see tonight. After there, one game? There's going to be a yeah, lot of fair. rust there. Uh, it's probably very, very fair. Um, here's uh, Wranglers head coach Trent Cull. He spoke Thursday morning ahead of Oliver Shillington's return to game action, answered some questions about where things sit on the Oliver Shillington front. You know what? He's had a good, uh, pretty much like a week here of... Uh... Kind of, and it's actually worked out good. Like it's been a slow uh, when he first got here, getting into pregame skate, uh, practice the day before, and then a couple good practices the last couple of days. So uh, I think he's happy. He's excited to play hockey, and it's uh, and we're excited to have him. What do you want from him for the team today? I just want him to play hockey. You know what I mean? Like I watched him this morning. I talked to him a little bit more uh, yesterday. Just touched up on some other things with him here again this morning on how to you know uh, things how we play, and then uh, you know it was nice to see him go out there and just. I think it's great to have hockey conversations. You know, we're all a bunch of hockey junkies. I'm sure you guys can say the same thing. We're all united in that, and it's nice to talk hockey, and that's what that's what he's here doing, and uh, it looks like he's having fun with it. You had him on the first PP unit as well. How do you plan on using him today, Trent? Uh, just that. We're going to play him. I mean, he's a good player. He can. He's uh, an elite skater. He's... Uh, you know, he's going to have some uh, rough patches. We all do, right? So, but you know what? We're going to stick him out there and away we go. I think we're uh, we're very confident in his ability. And what have you learned about him as a forget hockey player, but as a person? Yeah, for me, it's just been that week of kind of getting to know him, talking to him a little bit. and But it's not been... Uh, like I, I wasn't trying to go deep diving with him or anything. I was just, uh, we're just talking and shooting the breeze. And he seems like an energetic guy. He's got a positive outlook. He seems like he's and excited to play hockey. So I think that's uh, sometimes there's other things going on in life. And, you know, just us getting on the ice, it's, it's just a great moment. So it's good for him. Hopping from the stands, it's like, man, he does have that stride. Like he, looks, he looks good on skates. He... Does he, does he look like a guy who's ready to play? Yeah, I mean, I think we're all sitting there going, man, I wish we could skate like that, you know what I mean? But yeah, he, he looks he looks good, he looks ready. So that's Trent Cole ahead of Oliver Shillington's return to game action on Thursday night for the Wranglers. And you know, there, there's some questions that'll come in and there are some next steps that need to happen. I think there are next steps that need to happen that are specific just to Oliver, right? Like, okay, how'd this one go? And to your point, you got one in, are you ready to play again? The Flames right. do have an, uh, an ability to apply for an extension, which I believe the NHL will grant on this, um, especially knowing the circumstances. Yeah. And the NHL will absolutely grant that extension on the conditioning assignment continuing, which would allow him two additional games. Maybe it doesn't get, maybe he doesn't go on the road with them, but that would allow him to play again against Ontario on this homestand if, but. You check in after the game. How'd it go? Or do you want to play again? Uh, and 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 so that's so. There's the next steps for Oliver. And then if if the answer there is yes, it's like okay. Are you ready to practice with the NHL team? And if the answer is yes, it's like okay. So there, there there's there's the next steps that are specific just to Oliver, right? In terms of yeah. of his progression and how he's feeling. You know, I the part of that interview with uh, with Trent Cullen, I hadn't heard it until you just played it. Uh, Trent Cullen speaking to my colleague Danny Austin and other media this morning at the Salome, you know, the part that struck me and, and put a big smile on my face was Trent saying, yeah, you know, I was just talking to him in the locker room about, you know, some little things we're going to focus on, like how refreshing I hope it is for Oliver Shillington that, you know, he's sitting there now as they get ready for the game talking about, here's how our breakout works. You know, here, here's the strategy we want to employ on our power play. And 
I can't stop thinking back to the statement that Oliver Shillington issued when he rejoined the or joined the Wranglers. And it, it said something that concludes with him talking about yeah. getting back to my everyday life. I've missed that very much. And man, isn't that it? Sitting around the locker room talking about how the, the power play is going to work yeah. or, hey, here here's something to look for on, on how we want to handle the breakout. Like, I, I think just where this process has gotten to and we'll never know the entirety of all the work that's gone in on Oliver Shillington's behalf. We'll never know the entirety of all that the Calgary Flames have done to show their support for him through this process. You know, this is this is a really big moment that we've gotten to tonight. Yeah. And, and I'm just going to repeat what I said earlier. I just hope it goes so damn well. And that has nothing to do with whether Oliver Shillington is plus three or minus three or has three points or if the Wranglers lose eight nothing or more likely based on their perch atop the conference win 5-1. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's almost all about what we talked about. Yeah. That next question, hey, Oliver, how'd that go? You want to do it again? I just hope it goes really well tonight. Um, And then there's the actual technical next steps, which play into it. Um, conditioning assignment, whenever it ends, if they go extension or not, then at some point they got to make a decision. Are, are we going forward here? Um, and by they, I mean the Flames. Or do, are we ready to go the activation off of LTIR route? Um, in which case, it would open up the door for Oliver to start practicing with the Flames on this six-game homestand that starts early next mm-hmm. week. So we believe they're back at practice on Monday. Could Oliver be back at practice on Monday? I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm not. I'm not trying to tease one way or the other or set expectations because if he's not, I don't want you to be disappointed because there is no linear timeline here. But that's kind of the next. Okay. Mm-hmm practice or what about another conditioning stint maybe it's practice with the flames for a week and then go on another regular conditioning stint that can last as long as two weeks and then once that's done so okay where are we on a return to the lineup so those are kind of the next technical steps this conditioning assignment has to end then they'll have to activate them off of LTIR if they want them to practice or if they want them to go down on a longer uh, more traditional conditioning assignment and then he can start to potentially talk about him returning to the lineup at some point between now and the end of the season. And with the caveat, if everything continues to go in a positive way, which it has for the last number of months here. And did you say yesterday, buddy, that, and I should know the answer to this, but did you say yesterday that they have the salary cap space? They do, yes. Yeah. Um, the Zadorov trade basically made it so that they'll be able to, because they cleared all of Zadorov's salary, they'll be able to activate Oliver. Whenever they decide to, yeah. they'll be able to bring him off LTIR without having to make a, a corresponding, right now, a corresponding roster move or a corresponding cap move, which is also some nice flexibility to have. You, you just hope it continues to go well, right? Not Not only because... We know that he's been working so hard to get back to playing in the National Hockey League because, and I, I don't know that today is is the day to have these discussions, but because it, it gives the Calgary Flames some clarity as they make some some decisions on their blue line. You yeah. know, there's a lot that goes into it, but let's start with two and a half hours tonight of a really important step for Oliver Shillington. Um, read you a few texts at 960-960. This says, uh, does Shillington have to return to the NHL by a certain time? Uh, 
Nope. There's there's no deadline. Now, his contract, this is the final year of his contract, so the, the contract will expire at the end of this season. But as, as I've said a few times, I, I don't know how much of a worry that really is. I, there, there's a lot of gratitude from the Oliver camp of, of how this has been handled. So I, I, I honestly think if this all goes according to plan and we see him back, this season, I, I think that another contract is, is not going to be a giant hurdle or a hurdle at all. Yeah, um, I've heard the exact same thing. I, I know that they're the support and the I hate to use the word patience. So so let me kind of explain what I mean. The fact that there hasn't been a push. Hey, Oliver, we got to fast forward yeah. this process. The understanding from the staff of the Salome, it's meant a whole lot to Oliver Shillington and those closest to him. Yeah, a lot of gratitude there. Uh, and then this from Taylor, who says, as someone who's uh, had a partner who's really struggled with mental health over the last few years, Oliver's story is so powerful, and the fact he's making positive steps is inspiring. Bringing mental health into the spotlight can't be easy, but he's doing more for others than he knows. And uh, yeah, I mean... It's a powerful text, isn't it? Yeah. Thanks, and, and Taylor, for sharing that. It's uh, it's it's really not a linear battle. It really isn't. Like it's, I I compared whenever whenever somebody's like, well, you know, why are they allowing this to happen, or you know, why why hasn't somebody stepped in, or why aren't they telling us what's going on? It's like, it's the same as first of all, your personal life is none of my business. Just because he's a pro athlete doesn't change that. But second of all, what what like mental health. It's it's I don't understand why it's so hard to compare that to a high ankle sprain, right? A high ankle sprain is one of the most frustrating injuries for a hockey player or a football player, or somebody who relies on, you know, bursting from their lower body. And it can be a completely frustrating nonlinear uh, progression. You can feel great for two days. You're like, I am ready to get back on the ice or get back on the field. You wake up the next day, you haven't even done anything. You're like, I can't, I can't put any weight on it. It hurts too much. And and that's the way a recovery sometimes go goes for an ankle sprain, especially those those pesky high ankle ones. It's why sometimes it's two weeks and a guy's out for eight weeks because it's not linear and. The same is true for a mental health battle like the one that Oliver's going through. It ain't linear. It's a brain injury, and it takes some time to heal and go through it. So injuries you mm-hmm. heal from, and he is getting through this. And I just, that, that's a really important text that Taylor wrote in because I, I really think we need to start treating a mental health situation the same way we do with any other ailment that's going on. We're, we're not, we're not begging for details on on certain certain signposts and things uh, that that a guy who's physically injured on their in their knee or their ankle or their shoulder are going through so why do we need these empirical details for what a guy like Oliver is going through just know he's he's working through it he's 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 working hard and he's dealing with what he needs to deal with and and I'm just so glad that he's he's starting to get out from what I, I know for a fact was like an inferno. You know, you always say you got to walk through the fire sometimes. And like, I know that there were stretches where it probably felt like it was never, you were never getting out of that inferno. Yeah. So the fact that here he is coming out from it, it's, it's a really inspiring story. So yeah, good text, Taylor. I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't really know what to add to what you just said because you, you nailed it. The fact that, Oliver has reached this point that he believes he's ready for tonight. 
the rest of us can't do anything but celebrate that. Uh, Good on Oliver, and I hope it goes well for him uh, Thursday against the Ontario Raid, and I'm feeling pretty good that it will. Just... um, Quickly, before we wrap this uh, this stretch and bring in Jonathan Davis, our Pacific Division insider, um, it is a, a milestone. It is, you know, we celebrated the the Tuesday game because it was on home ice. Uh, Michael Backlund going from 948 to 949 in terms of all-time games played with the Flames, tied him with Mark Giordano, which means this Thursday in Arizona... He will move into sole possession of second all time on the Flames games played list at 950. And uh, I just, I think that's kind of cool. I think it's awesome that he's got his dad there with him. Yeah. His dad was there Tuesday. His dad's there on the dad's trip for this game. And I also think it's really neat that it was just under 14 years ago that in Arizona, different building, I grant you, but in Arizona against the Coyotes on the road, uh, it was January 28th. 2010, where Michael Backlund scored his first NHL goal. Bork stops in the right wing board, pivoting to get away from Jovanovski. Drops it off, Backlund with a shot, scores! Michael Backlund with his first NHL goal, and it ties the game at 2-2 here in period three. So that was just under 14 years ago. I asked uh, Michael about it on Thursday morning. I, I chatted with him for our Flames warm-up pregame show. I just said, hey, what do you remember about goal number one? He had pretty... Pretty good recounting here. I remember uh, we got in late. It was a back-to-back. And I remember being roommate with Freddie Schoelstrom. And uh, I thought it was uh, yeah, just cool to be called up the night before to play in Dallas. And then going to uh, our Phoenix and play. And uh, my first NHL back-to-back experience. And um, yeah, I was just super excited to play that game. So you had a super nice goal. I remember that night. And. Uh, and then I got to score my first, and it was a we we lost in shootout, and I missed my shootout attempt. But uh, yeah, very special to score that first goal, and I think it was uh, to tie the game or something like that to tie the game. Or, yeah, it was to tie the game. Yeah, so it was a big goal too. So um, and it's tie where place where you know we were chasing to stay in the playoff. Uh, so it was a big goal too. So made it feel even more special. Good little Selly as well. Um, he, he I asked him about that. I blacked out a little bit, but it was good Selly too. <laughs> good good Michael Backlund celebration for his first NHL goal, which was also scored in Arizona. So pretty neat that he uh, is hitting 950 and moving into sole possession of uh, second all-time on the game's played list in Arizona as well. On Ilya Brzgalov that night. It was Brzgalov, that's yeah. right. And he's right. He did. He had a chance to extend the shootout. Yeah. And he missed. He missed. You know, I, I chatted uh, with Craig Conroy about Michael Backlund a few days ago, and, and part of what we were talking about was Michael Backlund's first career game, which was just over 15 years ago. And, and I said, oh, and you know, Bax was telling me that he hit the post on his first shift. At, and it was funny, Craig said, well, I, I have no recollection of that. But he said he, he'll be right. Like, as a player, you never forget yep. all those early in your career moments, all all your firsts, all those close calls. So he said, I, I don't remember him hitting the post, but I have no doubt that he did. And that's why Michael Backlund's recollection of his first goal is so crystal clear. Yeah. Of course, you'd remember that night. Yeah. And now 950 games in his career, sole possession of second place all time, sole possession in my opinion, anyways, of cutest locker room pregame video released by the Flames yet. Just uh, another congratulations due to the captain because pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. 
Uh, we're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio this hour on Flames Talk. Wet basement? They have a lasting solution to keep your basement dry. If you experience any water in your basement, contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement Visit dlbasementsystems.com. You're locked on Flames Talk. Only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, time to go inside hockey on this Thursday edition of the program. Inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. It's that time to stock up for the celebrations that matter with ingredients that help make memories. Visit Calgary Co-op where life's in store. It's Steinberg along with you on this Thursday edition of the program. And uh, it's uh, time to bring in our Pacific Division insider. He was in Costa Rica last week, so didn't get an opportunity to chat with Jonathan Davis. Uh, back uh, in North America for this week. And we say hello to Jonathan Davis from NHL Network and NHL Network Radio to spin you around the Pacific Division. Hello, J.D. How we doing? We're doing great, Pat. Happy New Year to you and your family. Happy New Year to you as well. It's good to have you back for the calendar year of 2024. And it's uh, good to spin around a Pacific division that has uh, lots of intrigue, including a blockbuster trade made in the Pacific earlier this week that we will definitely get into. Um, but um, let's let's start in your neck of the woods. And that's the Los Angeles Kings who are, are still sitting very comfortably. Well, not as comfortably anymore, but still sitting in the number three spot in the Pacific division. Now four up on the surging Edmonton Oilers. Um, but uh, the Kings have been hitting the skids here of late. And most recently they blew another two-goal lead against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, I mean, you know, Pat, they just can't seem to enjoy prosperity. And, and here we are on on Thursday night, and they've jumped out against, you know, on Florida one nothing. You know, Tom McClellan has just talked about it. it's not been, you know, a 60-minute game, and you can, you know, you can always get into those cliches. The one thing that I noticed, Pat, is that, you know, early on in the year, they were, they looked super fast, and they were all over you, kind of like the way Vegas played in that opening year. And I just don't see that in their game right now. That's, that's one thing. Um, you know, you take a look at, you know, Andre Kopitar is having a good year, but at the end of the day, Pat, there are 44 players in the NHL that have more points than the Kings leading score. Um, you know, and so they need, you know, they need more like they're big, you know, here they are. They've got Kopitar, Fiala and Dubois, and none of those three guys play on the same line together. And I don't think that's the way that, it, that this was designed when, when they made the acquisitions of Fiala and Dubois. I think that they had hoped that at least one of those guys would be playing with the captain. It right. just hasn't worked out, you know. So, um, yeah, and, you know, and Cam Talbot, you know, it's, he's on pace still for 60 games. And the other thing that, that Pat, that's been confusing to me with this L.A. team is, you know, they bring up Brant Clark, and he – really hasn't been able to find himself in the lineup with any, you know, it's only been a granted. It's only been a couple of games, but you know, here we are. It's the fourth game that he's been on this roster for. He's played in one of them. I I don't get it. I really, you know, I just don't understand it. Um, You know, you mentioned Brent Clark and, and he's a name that intrigues me a lot because I think Los Angeles, based on the way their first half of the season or almost first half of the season is gone, I think you can make a pretty good argument that the LA Kings might be out looking to add between now and the deadline in early March. Is is he a guy they'd be willing to part with if they could bring in a, a really no. big chip, or is he untouchable in your eyes? I'd say untouchable. 
I mean, yeah, I, I would absolutely say untouchable. I mean, look, this is a guy that, you know, was in the top 10 in scoring in the American Hockey League, you know, 32 points in 30 games for Clark. Uh, he deserved the opportunity to get called up. I just don't understand why he's not playing. And, you know, here, here's, you know, here's an unpopular comment, Pat. You know, I, I referenced the captain who's having a good year, but it's only, what, 36 points for him. And, you know, Drew Doughty's on that number one power play unit. He's got one power play goal. Like, it's it, it's time, you know, we've seen a lot of other teams make some, you know, interesting adjustments to their lineup. It's the one thing that I would like to see the L.A. Kings do. Like, Brant Clark or Jordan Spence should be anchoring the power play. Drew Doughty should be on the, uh, you know, the second unit. Shouldn't be on the first unit anymore. You know, I remember a time where, you know, Chris Chelios, you know, became a great, you know, a, defensive defenseman he wasn't that guy you know he was the same guy he recognized it and I'm not putting you know I'm not putting Drew out to pasture by any stretch but they've got Spence and Clark who I think could do a better job than Drew who has had a, a really good year continues to you know to be one of the minutes leaders in the NHL but the power play is just not his role and I don't know why the Kings are stubborn mm. and they just haven't made those adjustments um, that's the LA story. Staying in SoCal, boy, have the Ducks uh, made a ton of news. Uh, injury news in a second, but let's start with that blockbuster. That you know, I, I, it's one of those trades that you know, usually you get an inkling from an Elliot Friedman or or a Frank Saravalli or somebody gets you something, or you've heard it on on the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast, like or or you're somewhat prepared for it. There wasn't a single human being in the NHL outside of the Flyers and Ducks organization and maybe a few others that knew Cutter Gauthier was going to be California-bound and that Jamie Drysdale would be off to Philadelphia. Just what was your reaction when you saw that blockbuster earlier this week? Well, one, I think Elliot needs to hand in his paycheck for this Ah. week because very very disappointing. Uh, Shocked. I mean, yeah, absolutely, you know, very surprised that it happened. And, you know, uh, I, I like the take that Jeff Merrick had this morning or this afternoon, depending on where you're listening about, you know, everyone's been very tough on Cutter Goche for the fact that he just said he didn't want to play in, in Philadelphia. Well, the Anaheim Ducks made it pretty clear they didn't want Jamie Drysdale. I mean, it's not like he asked to move. Now, the Ducks do have an embarrassment of riches on the blue line. So they are trading from a position – of strength and they do need help. Uh, you know, they, they need to continue to build that forward group. So they got themselves a really good forward in Cutter Goche. Um, I, I was surprised that Drysdale was the guy. I know Elliot referenced the fact, I think on the podcast that it had, you know, this had nothing to do with maybe some of the issues in the off season and, and Drysdale's disappointment uh, in not being able to, to play and losing some t- service time uh, last year. But, yeah, absolutely surprised that they moved on from Drysdale. Um, but, again, they're dealing from a position of strength. Now they do – now they now they've lost Drysdale and Michikov with the separated shoulder. I mean, look, it, it, it's, it, Anaheim is not going anywhere this year, so it's not as big a deal uh, for them. But, yeah, I, 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 so to answer your question, very long-winded response, very surprised that they moved Jamie Drysdale. But they got themselves another forward, which – this, you know, Pat, we, we talked about it, you know, many times throughout last last season. This is a team that has been, uh, you know, starving for help up front. They just haven't had the guys. And uh, so 
they got themselves another young player. And when you've got Goche and McTavish and Zegras and Terry, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what, if Frank Petrano sticks on this roster. But uh, there, there are, you know, continue to be reasons to be excited in Anaheim. It's, it's, it is interesting, and, you know, I, I know the, the Zegris news is bad. He's out six to eight weeks, which we'll get into in just a second. But, you know, the way those contract negotiations went leading up until the beginning of the regular season, as both Drysdale and, and Zegris essentially missed all the training camp as those negotiations were continuing, it just it kind of felt like GM Pat Verbeek was like, yeah, you know what? I didn't draft these guys. I, I don't know if I see them as core players. And here's Drysdale, who's moved out. Uh, a lot of people wonder, even with the shoulder injury, if we might see Zegris moved at, at some point, whether it's between now and the deadline or now and next season. It 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 just it does feel like Verbeek is going in a very different direction with those two guys, one of them now gone, than prior to when Verbeek was there. I'm curious as to your read on that situation. Interesting. I mean... Look, I, I think that there are parts of Zegers' game. There's no question that there there was a, a maturity issue. I mean, this is a guy that, that players, you know, I, I had heard, you know, just felt that his his head was maybe a little too big for, for the helmet that he was wearing and that he needed to change. And that's why they brought in guys like Kalorn and Gudis because this locker room needed it so desperately. They need They needed to have those types of players. But – I, you know, you can't argue the skill set that, that Zegers offers you. And, you know, you're, you're going to have players like that on your roster um, these days. It's just a matter of, you know, can you surround that player with, you know, guys that, that can make him, you know, an NHLer like a Kalorn and a Gudis and what Padford Beek was. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of talent there. It's a matter of can they harness it and can he – can he harness some of his uh, exuberance, let's say? Right. And as you mentioned, they're the, you know, Zegris and uh, Mitchikov, they, they are all of a sudden, there's some, uh, there's some injury concerns and some injury issues the Ducks are dealing with now. Absolutely. But again, you know, this is a team that, you know, is, you know, is playing for next year, you know, is always playing for next year. Hmm. Um you know, look, there, let's, there's no illusions. I mean, this is, you know, granted they had that nice little run at the beginning of the year, but now, you know, they've come back to reality. And, you know, I don't think anybody ever thought this was a playoff team. So, yeah, it's disappointing. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it's not like, uh, you know, uh, it's not like Gabe Landeskog, you know, not being on the Colorado roster. You know, I, I, it's not a team that, that was challenging for anything. So it, it hurts a little less. We are chatting with Jonathan Davis. He is our Pacific Division Insider, NHL Network, NHL Network Radio. Joins us every week, a uh, spin around the Pacific Division with JD. Um, let's go to uh, let's go to the two hot teams, hottest teams uh, in the Pacific Division. Starting with the Seattle Kraken, who enter action on Thursday night, tied for the final wild card spot in the Western Conference. They've won seven straight. They've got points uh, in ten straight. Uh, There's a team, and and the craziest part is who's been the guy between the pipes as they've gone on this really nice run. Yeah, I mean Joey Decord has, has got six of those seven wins, and and Pat, you know this is a team that is kind of I'll call them Winnipeg light, and and I and I and I say that because you know not only have the Kraken won seven straight, but they've held their opponent to two goals or less in all seven. I mean, it's not Winnipeg who's, 
held their opponents to two goals or less in, in 10 straight and 17 of 18. Um, but this is pretty impressive. I think that, you know, last year, you know, we saw Seattle. They were the, they were the best team five on five in goals for. Uh, it, it's been a struggle all year for them. And, it, you know, they've tightened things up. And if, you, if they can't beat you in trying to outscore you, well, then they've got to outdefend you. And that's, that's what's been happening in Seattle right now. And, you know, they got off to a nice start in Washington tonight. Uh, they're up 2 nothing on, on the Capitals. Uh, and, you know, not, look, not too long ago, I think we were looking at potentially five central teams. Could we see five Pacific teams in the playoffs this time around with mm. the way things are going? And are we allowed to talk about that other team? That's we really are. hot. Yeah, we uh, are. are you allowed to make? Yeah, we are, unfortunately. Yeah, we are. Okay. They, okay. But, you know, if the, the Kraken have won seven in a row. The Oilers have won eight in a row. Um, which means they're probably, does that not mean they're probably due for like a three or four game losing skid? Like what did they want? Eight in a row, then lost four, then won eight in a row. So they're probably due here for some sort of extended losing skid. Yeah. Only someone from Calgary would start, you know, talking like that, you know, come on. The guy can cross his fingers, (laughs) can he? (laughs) Absolutely. But look, you know, you, you, you take, now you've got the game in Detroit tonight and then it's, and then it's Montreal and Toronto. I mean, it's look, it's Montreal, Toronto and, uh, and then Seattle. So, yeah, I mean, they've got some tough ones. And then, oh, and they've got this Calgary team. And, you know, um, yeah, I, you know, look, you're, they're not going to keep it up. They can't, right? I mean, I don't know. They're going to go on like that 16-1 and one run like they did the end of last year? Possible. They're, they're definitely, you know, it, it's not just Connor McDavid. It's this, uh, this guy, Zach Hyman, who I always yeah. say has led the charmed hockey life, being able to play with both McDavid and Matthews. In, in his career. I mean, God, life is really bad for him. Um, yeah, look, I know it's not better in Calgary when the Oilers are in the playoffs, but it is definitely better for the NHL when the Oilers are in it's the playoffs. Better, it's and, better when both teams are – like, it's, it's better for Edmonton yeah. when the Flames are good. It's better for Calgary when the Oilers are good. Like, just in terms of the stories, when both teams are, yeah. are solid, like what we got a couple of years ago, that's, that's awesome for the sport in this province. Well, I mean, look, the, the Calgary Edmonton playoff series didn't go your way, but that was just, you know, that, that was something that we missed. You know, look, growing up, that was something that you waited for uh, growing up and, and savored uh, back in the day. Uh, no question. And so, yeah, I mean, you have to be very encouraged with what you're seeing in Edmonton. And look, it's still, it, it's critical with, with the big boys contracts coming up sooner than later. I mean, uh, it's a very important season at the end of the day for these two. Uh, for the Edmonton Oilers, so um, we'll we'll see where it goes. But right now, yeah, you you, know, you have to be very encouraged. And uh, look, the LA Kings have to you know now are looking over their shoulders. I mean, that was one of the teams that they had a two nothing lead on, uh, you know, a week or That's so right. ago, and That's then right. and lost and lost that one three two to Edmonton. I mean, they can't you know now Edmonton, who seems you know very much in the LA Kings rearview mirror, now are right behind them. So. Um, can they keep it up? Well, not likely, but I mean, there, there's some definitely some favorable games on their schedule, like Montreal, Columbus, and Chicago, you know, sandwiched around Seattle, which is now a tough game. But those Seattle-Edmonton games, uh, you know, uh, usually lamplighters and always fun to watch. Uh, all right, J.D., get out of here. It's good to have you back. It's good to have you back in North America. Hope you enjoyed your little Costa Rica New Year's trip. We'll do it again. And uh, Dude, this, this division is great. filled with Canadians. What's that? Oh, I, Costa Rica I, was? I, oh, my God. 
Yeah. I mean, just it, it was a lot, a lot of Canadian. Oh, my. Yeah. Just. Uh, yeah. So the day that when, when Canada got eliminated with 11 seconds to go, a bunch of us were watching the game uh, poolside. And, yeah, there was a lot of uh, a lot of depressed people. So hmm. uh, the adult beverages definitely started uh, <laughs> flowing pretty heavily uh, early in the morning. Well, it's uh, good to have you back, pal. Uh, and we'll uh, spin around the Pacific again next week. Great stuff, as always. Thank you, J.D. Take care. Jonathan Davis is our Pacific Division insider. He joins us once a week here on Flames Talk to spin us around. Same division the Flames are in, and he joins us inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Flames fans, meet Cal and Gary. Top products curated for Calgarians, and we mean every single one of you. Only available at Calgary Co-op. Visit them today as we start to wrap up this hour on the program. Thanks to uh, Wes Gilbertson. He's on Twitter at Wes Gilbertson. Thanks to Shan, our outstanding producer this hour as well. And this hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Did you know Calgary Lock and Safe also fixes doors? If you have one that needs it, visit calgarylockandsafe.com slash doors.